Hey folks, welcome back. This is Andy from the Poor Pearls Almanac. In today's episode, we talk with Mandu from the North American Traditional Indigenous Food Systems, or Natives. Natives was started by Chef Sean Sherman, a James Beard award-winning Indigenous cook who's focused on addressing the economic and health crisis affecting the Native communities by trying to reestablish Native foodways. The project is focused on imagining a new North American food system that generates wealth and improves health in Native communities through food-related enterprise. Now, this concept of reclamation of ancestral education is not only important for reversing the damage of colonialism and forced assimilation, but also provides a framework for how we can all collectively move forward in addressing issues like land back and decolonization. So let's get to the episode. Mandu, thanks so much for coming on. Can you tell us a little bit about the organization that you're involved with, the North American Traditional Indigenous Food Systems, or I believe it's pronounced NATIFS, if you're using the acronym? Yes, yes, we use the acronym NATIFS. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to tell you a little bit about it. We are a fairly new organization, a nonprofit organization that are uh, focusing on trying to work everything related to indigenous food waste. So our main mission statement, it's uh, to promote indigenous food waste education and uh, to facilitate indigenous food access. It's very short and simple, but as you can tell, it's a really broad mission. So, and it's yeah. because it's such a, such a huge topic when we talk about food waste in general, and we want to try to address as much as we can from every angle possible, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty ambitious. <laughs> I was scrolling through the website and there was this one line that was, I'm not sure if it's technically part of the mission statement, but I thought it was really insightful and I'd really like to unpack it with you a little bit. And I'll quote, reclamation of ancestral education is a critical part of reversing the damage of colonialism and forced assimilation. And food is at the heart of this reclamation. Natives will drive sustainable economic empowerment and prosperity into tribal areas through a reimagined North American food system that also addresses the health impacts of injustice, end quote. So much like everything else you're doing, this is like an incredibly ambitious vision. Now, I want to ask, you've talked about education, but why is food really at the heart of this reclamation, not necessarily culture or education? Well, the thing is, well, first of all, uh, the, the, the founders of the organization, Sean Sherman and Dana Thompson, they've been focusing for the past 20 years or more uh, working with food. So that is one, one, one aspect of it. Sean Sherman, as a chef, he's like very interested his training, all his experience and expertise comes from being a chef and a Native American chef. So that's one aspect of it. Now, the other part, like why are we talking specifically about food? One is that, but the other thing is because food is such an important component of culture. So we are talking about culture. We are talking about education and everything because food is, at, uh, you know, when you talk about culture, culture has so many different components. It's so many different things that you could select from culture to, to address different aspects of culture in general. In our particular case, food, because it's something that it's so relatable to people. Everybody eats. <laughs> you know, we would like it or not, we have to eat. So we have to care about our food because we're not going to eat things that you just don't know or don't like. You know, it, it's something that we really, in different ways, we do care a lot 
you know, it's not that every day you wake up and you just grab the whatever you find on the streets or something, you know, you kind of plan a little bit, what am I going to have for breakfast? So even in that simple sense, we care about food. And like I said, food is one of the huge components of culture. When we talk about foods, we're talking in a way about our own culture, about our own identities, even, you know, like we identify based on what we eat in a lot of places, you know, like simple example is like if you're planning a vacation to a whatever country, whatever you go, the main two things that you're going to think about, and I bet that applies for most people, is to be curious about their language, what language they speak. We try to figure it out a little bit if we don't know that language, to know like the keywords to be able to say something or whatever. And the other thing is the food. We are very curious about going to try different foods from different places because we know that the food represents those areas, therefore represents certain cultures, represents certain people. And when we're traveling, people ask us like, so what's about your country? And one of the first questions that they're going to ask you, it's like, what about the food? You know, <laughs> And it's interesting to me because uh, when being an outsider, I'm not from the U.S., when I first came to the U.S. and everything, that was some of my curiosity. So what is the traditional foods of the U.S.? And it's something that it's difficult to pinpoint, to figure it out. You know, when I talk about my own country, yeah, for sure, it depends on the region or something. But it's a lot easier for me to start quickly answering like, oh, yeah, these are the traditional dishes of my region, of my city. But in the U.S., I was asking to people and they don't really have that. You know, a lot of people, they don't really know what to say or or they just defer to a hamburger or something like that you know <laughs> and and like again from the outside like people think like yeah fast food it might be the traditional food of the US or something but once you start digging in a little bit and you start talking with native americans for instance there's so much food traditional foods that come from north america from a lot of these Native American groups are identifying themselves based on the animals and plants that they eat. Yeah. So again, food is such a big thing. Sorry, I'm going around in circles. No, 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 no. Like food is such an important component of the culture that it makes sense for us to address it from that angle. And also on top of that, because the founder, Sean Sherman, he's a chef. He's been always working with food, you know, so that guides us a little bit. My own experience with food, I am an ethnobiologist. So I've been doing research for over 15 years now in, in different parts of Latin America and also in, in the U.S. with indigenous people working in different topics related to animals in general, uh, sometimes related to plants and things, but always with a kind of an like a final step of all my research or something was related to food because I was doing, for instance, research about traditional ways of hunting and fishing. But why are they hunting and fishing? Because they want to eat them. You know, I was doing research about traditional uses of plants, medicinal plants. That was the main focus, medicinal. But a lot of the plants, they were eaten as food because when you have a holistic approach of food, of course, you have to understand that food is not just the, the nutrition that you get out of that. It's also medicine. It's also a spiritual connection that you have with Mother Earth and the plants or animals that you're eating. So all the research I've been doing, it was always related somehow with food. And that's why when we got together here, we said like, well, how can we approach this? I think the best way is through food because Again, a lot of or everyone cares about food. You know? Yeah, I, you know, you brought this really interesting point about Americans not really being able to pinpoint <laughs> like what what their native food is, and you know, I think about it in the sense of 
you brought this up with this idea of like hunter gatherers. Why are you hunting and gathering? Because you need that for food. And then like the inverse of that conversation is where does our food come from? It comes from the landscape around us. And the American food way, like the American food system we have today doesn't have that component. It's not the food that's from around us. It has none of those ties to season and local conditions. Like, you know, I had, I had some bananas for breakfast. I live in New England. Like they're not, has nothing to do with the middle of winter or the, the place I live. Like it has no connection. And that's not uncommon, not just in the US, but across the globe today. But when we think about food or the way we should think about food, in my opinion, is how it does connect to those things. So to me, it makes perfect sense that you would go from studying plants and the way people live to how does this relate to the thing on their proverbial plate, where the food is related to where they live and how they live. That's what I find really interesting about this conversation about going with food first and then saying, okay, we, we now see this food. Let's talk about how we got there. And like reinforcing the importance of a lot of traditional practices by pointing to the fact that this is the food of the landscape you live. And without that, there's there's a, a big disconnect. Exactly, exactly. So we, that, that is basically the approach we're trying to have, a very holistic approach to food waste, to food in general. You know, so like like you're saying, like when you're talking about the food, we should we're trying to when we said we want to reimagine a new food system, it's not necessarily that we're creating something new. You know, we are like recollecting information from different parts, from different North American tribes and other places, indigenous people around the world and say like, well, let's, let's relieve those ways of uh, connecting with your food. And that's one of the things, like, like I was saying at the beginning, like when you, most people, when you wake up, you kind of plan a little bit, what are you going to eat? You know, like, what are you going to eat today? What, what's going to be for dinner? And what am I going to So you are planning a little bit, but we want to reinforce that connection and we want to make it a little more relevant to your day. So we want to start connecting with the, the, the food in a way that it makes more sense, not just say like, what do I have in the freezer that I'm going to unfreeze today for dinner? But to think like, what do I have in my neighborhood? How about if I walk around and I become more curious about what kind of trees are around, what kind of plants and herbs are around me that maybe I can use for my dinner tonight, you know? So I start reconnecting with the land. And that is something that food helps you do it. You know, traditionally from, I don't know, millennia in the past, Native Americans, indigenous people around the world, they've been doing that. And in many other places, we're still doing that. That's why even in, in, in Europe, especially right now, I think it's becoming very common to go, uh, well, even here in the US, in some areas, I've seen that it's growing a little bit, the idea of going to search for mushrooms, for instance. You know, that is a really great way to start reconnecting with your food and therefore reconnecting with the land. You know, when you're going there and you're exploring what kind of mushrooms are available in your region, which ones are edible, which ones you like, you start understanding. And like, in order to understand where those mushrooms are growing, you might have to reconnect a little bit with the environment in general to understand like, there are these plants here and it's humid enough that maybe there's mushroom there. So you start learning a lot more just because you want to eat a mushroom, you know, and that is a good way to start reconnecting with, uh, with the land in general and being um, more and have a better understanding of what talking about or thinking about food means, you know, it's not just 
the thing I'm going to eat. It's a lot more than that. It's really creating a connection with the land. And, and like I said, and that reinforces our culture because what we eat, what we find, what we understand around, it makes us who we are. It's a big part of our identity, you know? And so that is a little bit the way we want to approach it. And again, it's nothing completely new. It might sound new for a lot of people or something, but it's something that it's been happening for always, basically. We're basically in a blip of time where that isn't the case. Exactly. So there's been some times with, you can argue with colonialism and then introducing the capitalistic system and stuff that we start pushing away that idea and we created this different market economy in which now we develop these supermarkets and now we made our relationship with food is just a mere economic transaction that you go to a market, you grab something, you pay for it, and that's it. That's the connection we, the, I don't know, the system or whatever it is, pushed us to learn, you know. We just say like, well, let's learn what we had before. And it's something that is still around. It's nothing just from the past. A lot of people still using it that way, still connecting with the land that way. We just need to learn about our neighbors. We have to understand about the land that we live in, you know, like uh, I am in, uh, in in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I understand that this is a Dakota land and I understand what that means and what kind of things this land is offering to us. And like I said, like walk around and see what, what things are around, start learning about the plants and, and animals that you have around. And maybe that's an interesting way to start reconnecting with your land, with your environment, with yourself through food. One thing Chef Sherman has brought up that I think is really cool, I've watched a couple of his talks, is he takes a lot of these traditional foods and he's really pragmatic about it, which I think is really important in the sense he he's not like a purist about like, you know, when we cook food, we can only use, you know, these ingredients that were here in 1492 or, you know, anything like that. And I think he makes the food both like sexy and approachable, which I think is really important because Americans are, there, there's that very specific group of people that always want to try new things but there's a reason why hamburgers and hot dogs are the most beige foods on the earth but it's also the thing everyone eats because americans are just maybe from capitalism maybe from whatever has driven us to like want these very simple highly processed foods and bringing something that's an alternative that's not super scary i think is really important in beginning that engagement of the conversation. So yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts about like the way you guys are sure. trying to incorporate these foods. For sure, for sure. There's there's a couple of things that like, for instance, this idea that you're saying that uh, Americans in general, they are more used to things that are quick, things that are fast. It's because this whole, again, maybe it's capitalism, capitalism or whatever it is that it's teaching us and, and putting in our head that we don't have time for anything, you know? And that's that's one of the issues. Like most people said, like, I just need to microwave my dinner or something because I don't have time for anything. My question is, really? <laughs> Are you sure? You know, I bet you have time. We just need to reorganize a little bit our ideas and reorganize our time a little bit. I bet you can spend 20, 30 minutes preparing a nice meal. You don't need hours. If you start practicing, if you start understanding a little bit, in 20, 30 minutes, you can have like a really nice meal and you can have like a really wonderful time that is going to help you to relax this stress from the day or whatever, you know, like 
that is something that is really relevant. It's something really important. In before working here, I was working as a teacher at a university, and at the university, my students were we were talking about these topics, and they were saying like, "Yeah, we just eat microwavable stuff uh, because we don't have time for anything." And I was like, "Are you sure?" Let's think about this. Let's recreate your day and let's talk through. Let's see what happens. And I bet you can make some time if you really care about your food, if you care about your environment, and if you understand what it means to connect with your environment that way. I bet you will make thirty minutes to make a nice meal because it's going to make you feel better and all of that. So that is another aspect that it's important also to to keep in mind. You know that it's relevant to all of this. And then what you were saying about using the the food in in different ways and not being like a purist or just trying to maintain the traditional ways of cooking some type of plant that happened a thousand years ago or something. Of course, we're not purist. We're not that way because we have a solid. I think we believe we have a good understanding of what what it means to do this. What it we have an understanding of what culture is, and we know that culture and like I said, food is a huge component of culture. It's dynamic. You know, culture is not static. Culture, it's not a thing that you grow up and start learning your culture and gets to a point in which you say, like, there, I'm done. I learned my culture. You know, that's it. It doesn't happen. Your culture, you're constantly learning through the process of enculturation. You're constantly, every day, learning new things, adapting things, changing things from your traditions, borrowing things from other cultures, uh, making them your own. You know, and and things like that. So culture is constantly changing dynamic different aspects of culture you know language language is changing there's a lot of english words that you don't use anymore nowadays i think new generations are changing a lot more their language you know now we are talking about with a lot more abbreviations and things like that you know people start saying lol or things like that instead of talking but if it's a trend that is going to catch on it that might change a little bit how the language looks like in the next generations and food is the same way Food is dynamic. Food is changing constantly. It's adapting to new new things, new environments, new climates, new everything. And uh, and that happened from the beginning of times. You know, like humans since they started, they've been always adapting, changing, finding new ways, finding new things to eat, finding new ways to cook them, to prepare them. And also another thing that is really important that. From the beginning of、uh, civilization, if you want, like when people start walking around and everything, different groups of people they connect and they start trading, they start moving things around. They were traveling. It wasn't as simple as it is now, taking a plane and go whatever you know. But they were traveling long distances and stuff, and creating these paths of trading. So they were there was a lot of food exchange between cultures, between different indigenous groups, and and from different regions. That's why, for instance, corn. For example, corn. We know the origin of corn is in Mesoamerica. That whole region there is a big area or something. But then you come farther north. You come to the U.S. and Canada. And traditionally, for so long, you know how important is the three sisters system of、uh, growing plants, which is corn, squash, and beans. So corn has been part of Native American tradition for a long, long, long time. And how they have that corn because they were trading with people from Mesoamerica. Or exchanging, or or going there to get some of the food and bring it here, adapt it to this new environment, and start using it. Food has been moving around, you know. Food has been adapting to different through different times. Food has been modified through different techniques of cooking and preparing and all of that forever. So the way we're doing 
now it's nothing new again. We're just finding new ways to use it, new ways to prepare it, new ways to present it, to make it, like you said, a little more sexy. So people can understand that like, oh yeah, eating native plants, actually it's cool. It looks pretty as well. So we want to attract people in all possible ways. And with the technology so advanced nowadays, even in the kitchen, we have so many different ways of preparing different things. We can cook things in many different ways because we have equipment, we have different ways of doing it. So we want to use all of those. And that doesn't mean we're forgetting completely the traditional ways. We are also working on those. Recently, I've been in communication, for instance, just to give you an example, I am in communication with the Science Museum here in Minnesota, which we are trying to collaborate in a way that they have some archaeological data that they found in some earth ovens that they discovered recently in the plains here in Minnesota. And then they dig a lot of information and they have information about the plants and animals and other things that they were cooked in those ovens. And if everything goes well, we are hoping that at some point during the summer, we can recreate one of those earth ovens as an organization and using the data from the museum to see and try to recreate some of the recipes that they encountered from over a thousand years ago. So we are still trying to do that because we want to see how how different it is to cook in something like that and how can we replicate that in more modern times or how can we adapt that to different ways. So while doing modern and new ways of or new approaches to cooking and all of that doesn't mean we're forgetting completely about the, the other, the traditional ways. We are combining them. We are adapting them. We are adapting them to these current times, to this current environmental cycle that we're living in, that we know it's all messed up right now. You know, climate change is like affecting so much everything. So we're trying to find ways of how can we do things that support this movement, movements of preventing a little bit climate change and all of that. The first thing that, you know, you're talking about this idea of like cultures evolving. I think people do have like, you know, we always talk about like, we need to restore this landscape. And the question is like, okay, to when? Or like, we need to restore these cultures or whatever it might be. And it's like, all right, to when? The corn thing is really interesting to me because I know in some parts of North America, uh, corn didn't exist until only a couple hundred years before colonists showed up because it was this slow traveling because of trade and things like that up north. So depending where you are, that was still relatively new food for a lot of people because the corn needed to be selectively bred for those specific conditions because it is traditionally a warm weather plant. And I'm, I'm super interested about this project that you're talking about this summer because I, I'm not a foodie, but I definitely like enjoy the idea of like how differently can food be cooked? Like, you know, you think it, you're raising a food to a certain temperature, it would theoretically like all be kind of the same at that temperature, but that's not always the case. This idea of like having different methods to process and prepare food is really cool. I really like this idea of utilizing the tools that are available today to make foods more accessible to people through how you're preparing them. To transition this conversation back to the organization itself, can you tell me what you guys are actually doing? I, I know there's like a lot of education pieces, and I know that you guys are highlighting a lot of different cooks that I'm assuming are going through this culinary program or this education. So could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So the, the organization has, you can say, like two main parts. One of them is the Indigenous Food Lab, which is a running kitchen, which is the culinary training center that is focusing especially specifically on like the preparing foods and learning all of that and trying new ways and everything. And then we have the other department, which is the education department. That's where I work in. And we it's all collaborative. We all mix together and we are working and everything. But I am running the, the education side. And as part of the education, 
one of the things that from the beginning I wanted to approach it in a way that it's again more holistic. We don't just want to train people on learning how to cook something and that's it. You know, we want to train, we want to share education with the general public in different ways. We want to share it for people that want to become a chef probably and that's that's cool, but also we want to share this other aspect of food that it's more the cultural, the spiritual, the environmental aspect of food for everyone to just have a regular, a basic understanding of what it means when we talk about food waste. You know, we're not just talking about the thing we eat, but it's all these other aspects. It's medicinal, it's eating healthy, it's eating locally, it's eating in a way, producing your food in a way that it's environmentally friendly, you know, all that, all those kind of things, you know. So from the education aspect, we have like this, I don't want to say different, but it's like a more holistic approach to training or educating people. So as part of that, just to give you an example, for instance, because of the pandemic, a lot of things had to change, especially 2020, 2021, it's been still different. It's still now, we still don't know what's happening. You know, we're trying to figure it out, how to adapt and all of that. But as I said, for example, when the, as part of the pandemic, one of our responses was to collaborate with uh, nine of the 11 tribes here in the state of Minnesota and support them by preparing foods for their elders in the different communities. So we were preparing a lot of food, a lot of soups, uh, because it was winter time. So just to give you an idea, from November 2020 to February 2021, we prepared about 80,000 soups. So we were preparing at a rate of about 10,000 meals a week. And those were distributed to the different communities, Native American communities in the state. So that was like the culinary side response to... (laughs) <laughs> to the pandemic, if you want. But we were saying like, well, as a nonprofit focusing on the education as well, why don't we start incorporating a little more? So what we did is we created a, a one-page insert that we send it every week along with the meals that they were going to all the communities with simple information about some of the ingredients that they were in the, in the soups, some other information about cultural aspects related to food or that are relevant related to food. Like for instance, having an understanding of what it means to talk about food sovereignty, that it's something that in the Native American communities, it's a big discussion these days. There's a big movement growing related to that. So we wanted to make sure that families, each family that is receiving these soups, they have a little a paragraph of basic information that they can start having a simple understanding what it means to talk about that. Things like that, you know, and a little information, as I said, about the ingredients and some other aspects. Sometimes we share a a shorter recipe for something else and things like that. So we submitted that every week. So that is one way in which we are approaching education. You know, it's not only the, the formal system of creating a class in a classroom to teach students to learn something. It's in all different ways that we can educate people in different formats, formal and non formal education formats, you know. So that was one thing. And towards the end of that program, we realized that we had like created 17 different types of soups, like the Food Lab developed 17 new recipes of soups, all only using indigenous ingredients. So we decided to work on that and said, let's make more use of that. So we developed all those recipes, we've rewritten them we changed the scales of it because obviously they were preparing so much soup. So their scales were gigantic. You know, we're talking about gallons of everything and kilograms of everything. So we reduce, we change all of that and we create the recipes for uh, four servings. So make them smaller and all of that. And we created a little book, a little booklet 
that it's it's like this. I don't I know you're not using the video, but if you want to see it, <laughs> it's a little a booklet that includes all the recipes there in a way, simple description of the recipes, including a comment for each recipe from one of our chefs in the food lab, sharing something about that recipe that they thought that it was, I don't know, could be something as simple as like, yeah, this soup makes me feel happy because it's so warm and cozy or something. Or some others that they said that like, oh, this soup means a little something to me because we're using some ingredients that my grandma used to use as well and blah, blah. So a little snippets of uh, comments of each recipe that comes from the chefs that they were creating these recipes. And we developed this booklet and we're still in the process of distributing the booklets to all the families that receive all those foods. And that is another way to, to share this education aspect of the organization. Again, it's not teaching them a class or anything, but it's sharing the recipes that were created. So now they can learn how to make some of the soups that probably they they liked, hopefully. <laughs> and maybe they have their favorites or something. Now they have a way to recreate them and do that. And in the booklet, we also added a little <clears throat> very brief information about each one of the tribes that were part of this program. So each one of the nine of the 11 tribes of Minnesota. So just a brief information about who they are, where they are and everything in order to, to help them understand their neighbors who are there and have a basic understanding of that. So that is another thing that we've been, the way we've been approaching education with the pandemic on top of us, you know, because we weren't necessarily ready to plan classes or something. That's something in the plans that we want to do. We, we are actually this last week, we started construction where we have the Indigenous Food Lab to create a space for a market, but also we're creating a space for, I don't know, like a classroom, you can call it, and space that where, where we can have like cooking demos and things, but also we can have these more formal classes in which we teach, we share the experiences that we're learning related to indigenous food waste. Hey there, it's Andy from the Pork Rolls Almanac. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast. As you can probably tell, this content involves extensive research and editing to release weekly episodes. If you think this content is valuable for the future that we inherit, please consider financially supporting this project by visiting poorproles.com and clicking on the Patreon, Venmo, Ko-Fi, or PayPal tabs. Every dollar helps offset our costs for hosting the podcast content and helps offset hundreds of hours of work put towards this project monthly. Thank you for supporting us by sharing, liking, and donating to this project. Together, we can build a better future. A lot of our approach is trying to follow traditional ways of doing things, you know, and one of the important aspects, the important traditions for Native Americans or indigenous people around the world is sharing. You know, it's a lot of sharing things. So we are trying to share everything we're learning. So that's why we're not trying to keep it to ourselves and just do little things. We try to share as much as possible. So even this, what I'm having right now with you, a conversation with you or a conversation in a school, a presentation. We've been doing presentations at a lot of elementary, middle, middle schools, high schools, and also universities, in which we are sharing all the work we're doing. We're sharing all this knowledge that we are trying to document, that we're trying to learn and spread it around. That's another way that we're approaching education as well. Another aspect is 
last year we started creating a database of different indigenous ingredients that we are using in the indigenous food labs. We are starting with those. There's plenty of them, and then we want to keep going. So it's a database that incorporates all information that we can find about the individual ingredients that are used. Could be a plant, could be an animal, could be a mushroom, could be anything that we use. So of course, building a database takes forever. It's a really pain you know, in the neck to do this, but it's something really relevant that we wanted to do. So we are documenting everything related to those ingredients, not only the way how to cook it or how it was cooked traditionally. No, we are really interested on everything, including the different indigenous names of those plants. Where do they grow? All the ecological, biological descriptions of the plant or animal, but also like the the different uses, traditional ways of use for these items could be medicinal, could be as food, could be ritualistic, because a lot of plants and animals and stuff are used, parts of them are used in certain rituals or certain ceremonies, and they have other cultural importance in in that sense. So we are documenting that as well. We are documenting also what we're calling the environmental and social dynamics. That is because we didn't want to call social issues, <laughs> you know, we're trying to find a different way to describe that. But it's like everything that it's affecting those items, those plants or animals or mushrooms or whatever they are. There are different things. Like a good example of that is, for instance, wild rice. Wild rice that grows, it's very popular, very traditional, very important, culturally relevant and environmentally relevant to this particular region where we are in Minnesota and some parts of Canada, of course. So we're talking about that. And when we, one of the things that we find is how much the areas where wild rice grow, it's been affected for a long time for different aspects, social aspects, environmental aspects, obviously climate change is affecting, but also social dynamics, you know, like urbanization, for instance, how the cities are growing or how areas are becoming more private and stuff like that. And then someone wants to build a house next to a lake, but they want to have like a pristine view of the lake. So they want to clear everything that is there. And what they're clearing is the wild rice that is growing naturally there. That way, the population of wild rice is having a lot of effects that way as well. So we're documenting those kind of stuff as well in the database. We're documenting also like regulations, policies, or different things that are related to those particular ingredients. Like again, wild rice is a good example. There's a lot of regulations that are related of how to harvest, who can harvest, when, how much, and all of that. But also, for instance, bison. Bison have a lot of different regulations as well because of, you know, in the history of bison, it's not very pretty. They try to wipe it down completely and then they realize like, oh no, we're almost out of them now that we grow. So there are different types of regulations about that as well. So we're documenting all those aspects on this database. And what we're doing with this database right now, we are, as I said, building it. We have already like over 15 items there. We are creating a summary of each one of them into a two, three page summary that we're calling the animal and plant profiles that uh, are going to be available to the public. And and we're going to sell them. We're going to distribute them as widely as we can. We are trying to find ways, what is the best way to make this available to everyone. And also we are turning each one of these items basically into a workshop, if you want, into a PowerPoint presentation with all this summary of all this information. And we can start developing classes about each one of them, or they can become part of a bigger class that we want offered later. So that is another way in which we are approaching education to create materials like that based on very, very academic, scientific, rigorous research to document all the information that is relevant 
to these particular ingredients, and we can turn that into educational material in different ways. We could offer that to formal settings of education, to schools, universities, and all of that. But also we can use it ourselves to present them as workshops to the general public. We can use them as cooking demos while we present and, and describe all these ingredients. So we want to make sure that people have as much information as possible about all these ingredients. So it's a little bit easier. You feel more motivated to go connect with them in the field, in the environment in general. So that is another thing that we're doing. We are also developing this uh, children's booklets for elementary and middle school that that started because, again, kind of as a response to the pandemic, because when the pandemic started, a lot of elementary schools and middle schools, you know, all of them, they went to a virtual setting. So they start connecting with us and asking us, like, can you share some of what you're doing? Can you tell us what, what kind of work are you doing? And we said, sure. And then we start thinking like, well, let's develop something better, more structured, for the kids. And one of the my, my colleagues, uh, Liz, who works with me in the education department, she has experience as an elementary school teacher. So that helps us a lot. So with her, we can develop a lot more language appropriate <laughs> things for children, you know. And, and of course, we are working with external collaborators as consultants and stuff that are knowledgeable in specific topics. And we created a, a booklet on, we just finished creating a whole packet that focuses on native berries. So we're talking about all different berries. And this is a booklet that explains everything that we know about different berries in a, in a language that is accessible for children, of course. And then we have like a reader companions, depending on different grades, we develop those so children can start following and reading about them. And, and every page has like a description of a berry that includes an illustration of it that they can color it. And then it has activities at the end and stuff like that. We prepared a teacher's guide so teachers can use this and know how to work out this whole booklet and everything. So we finished this first packet and we're trying to find ways to make it more widely available to teachers out there that are interested on in using it. And if they're not, they can contact us and we are happy to do that in their classrooms and, and take over a day or something, <laughs> one of their classes for an hour or two or something. And uh, one of us can go and, and, and give the class there. So, so that is another way, a little more formal education, if you want, that we're approaching it. We're working right now on the squash booklet, talking about different squashes. And, and this is something that is going to keep going. We have a, a draft of a wild rice one. We are starting to develop the idea for a beans a booklet and things like that. So so that is a little bit the way we're approaching this. So you're a little busy. But a little bit. <laughs> but the idea, like I said, is to try to approach food from a very holistic way. So it's not just training people that, to tell them how to cook these plants. We want to teach you how to cook that, but at the same time, you have the opportunity to learn also the cultural, environmental relevance of those plants or animals that you are actually learning how to cook. So you have a more holistic understanding of what it means to make indigenous food. And maybe with that approach, a very complete package of information, we can start pushing people to think a little more in this, I don't know, new way of understanding food waste in North America, which is a way that we want to... Uh, the way we want to do it, like connecting more with the land directly and be more respectful of cultures and the environment. Yeah. So, so it's funny, the running joke on this podcast is that like we're a local food podcast that's focused on like what does resilient, sustainable food look like? And we're like at this point about 100 episodes in and at no point have we started talking about like this is how to grow a tomato because there's so much you need to know before, you know, the, these complicated histories, the cultures, 
the ecology itself, the soil ecology, you know, all these different pieces that you have to understand to fundamentally be able to not just grow and understand how to sustainably grow, say, a tomato, but also to, to understand the weight of that food in terms of the historical conditions that led to that point where you can, like, plant a tomato seed in your garden. Like, there's so much complexity that goes into it. And what you guys are doing is exactly that, is addressing all of those complex issues in uh, a really digestible way for people that are at different stages of that learning curve. And I think all of it's really important. Well, that's that's what we're hoping. You know, <laughs> we, we hope we can make it in a way that people understand and that it is digestible for everyone, you know, because we want to we are also aware that there is different levels of understanding of food in general. You know, there are people that are studying things related to food. So, of course, they're going to have certain level of knowledge or understanding. But there are some others that don't, don't really care much about it. They never really think much about it, apart from just what are they eating today. But we want to get to all of them and offer the, the materials that we're creating, make it available for everyone. And we also have a garden we're running, and this is going to be the second year of the garden, and we're planning already on structuring some tours, different types of tours in which we're going to have like an ethnobotanical tour, for instance, to talk about the different uses of these plants that you can grow here in Minneapolis and use them in many different ways, not only as a food, but also as a medicine and everything. But, you know, there's like so many things, like you said, it's so complex and food is so much more than just what you eat, you know, and that's what we're trying to uh, to address <laughs> the best way possible. Yeah, it, it's been a luxury, and I use the word luxury very loosely because I don't think it really is to be able to say I don't care where my food comes from or to not think about the complexity of the systems that are in place to make food sustainable. There's a lot of people that are like, well, I just I don't care. Like, I'm just going to go to the grocery store and whatever. I, I think it improves your relationship with food by knowing where it's come from and how it's grown and the conditions that have led again to that point where you're able to do these types of things like you know how come there's wild rice throughout these areas well there's a very long and complicated history of why that rice is there and the selective breeding that was probably done to get it to a point where it's processable in the way it is today without making it domesticated where it needs our input to not die and that that comes with generations upon generations of understanding plants so intimately in a way we don't today, or at least most people don't today. Absolutely. To like circle back to this idea of like it being a luxury. I say luxury, but it's really not because like I said, it improves your, your quality of life in a lot of ways to understand these plants. And I was going to ask about the, you're, you're making a ton of food. Where are the ingredients coming from? I'm assuming that you're not able to produce them all in a garden in Minneapolis. <laughs> no, no, we can't. Especially when we're producing like so much, you know. So we are, yeah. again, this idea of sharing, you know, connecting with other people and, and trying to be creating a network. And that's what we're doing. So we are working with a lot of Native American producers, Native American farmers and local farmers that are helping us producing all this food some other groups that they're focusing on foraging certain stuff and we are uh, connecting with them so we can get some of that. And it started last year, we, we had some of the ingredients from the garden, but the garden is something small, but, but we still, like even if it's something small, we were using it. We want to make sure we use everything we have. But yeah, it's, it's connecting with people, connecting with others, connecting with the community. And we are finding more and more connections with different groups that are growing their own, <clears throat> their own farms or they're growing their own 
things and, and we are connecting with them and, and working with them. So again, as part of our mission and our vision, we are trying to connect as much as possible with local producers, Native American producers, and that's how we were getting. And also we've been getting some donations as well. There are some other food pantries or other organizations that are working with food that sometimes they had a surplus or something and they know what are we doing. So they just contact us and say like, hey, we have an extra pallet of blueberries that are here. So we just got them and figured out what to do with them, start making a lot of wojapi or different things that we can do with that. But yeah, so it's it's been a lot of that. So that's that's something that makes us feel very happy as well that people in organization are starting to get to know a little more our approach. So they are feeling more comfortable to call us and say like, hey, we have this, do you want it? We want to donate it to you. And we're more than happy to get that and start working with that. And of course, we are in a way a little bit picky if you want, asking like where those that produce is coming from and all of that, you know, how it's been grown and all of that. But like, then, then we're open to, to get donations and things like that as well. That's awesome. And I think it also speaks to like the fact that as much as like you can try to exist as like this autonomous uh, organization, that's fundamentally not how food works. It Food has always been like a, a community effort and a, not even just a community, but like a community of communities where this is like this network of people that are either specialists or uh, have access to things that you don't and everyone can kind of focus on what they're best at or most interested in. it's just really cool and exciting for me to kind of see what you guys try to do with it. I know you guys have an incredibly ambitious vision of rolling this out across the United States and Canada. So I I really hope to see, I hope we chat in a couple of years and you guys are like, you know, there's a location near me. Uh, so. I, yeah, I certainly hope so. It will be really great. That That is one of the things that we're hoping to do. You know, we're trying to build up this indigenous food lab with a structure that is really solid and very well placed. And then we can replicate that in other areas and not necessarily ourselves. You know, we want to connect with other people that are interested on in creating their own food lab and we can give them all the packet of information and knowledge and experiences that we have pass it along so they can start running it with that. And that's the way we are hoping to grow. Of course, the dream is big. We want to grow like far beyond just US, Canada, Mexico. We want to get everywhere as much as possible because this is something that is relevant to all of us, to everyone. You know, it's, it's talking about our food and we want to make sure we still have good food available and in a sustainable way, in an environmentally friendly way and in a culturally relevant way. Yeah, it's just very cool. And I will say like, if you follow, I follow the social media that you guys have on Instagram and like there's always posts of like food and chefs and things like that. And it looks super professional and it looks like you're making amazing food. And I, I really hope at some point I get to try some of it. So for folks that are interested in learning more, want to support you guys, is there a website you want to send them to? Some like GoFundMe or a Venmo or a Patreon or like how yeah. can people donate to what you guys are doing? Yeah, for sure. It's very simple. You just go to our website, which is natives.org, and you can find all the information there, including a donation link. It's right there. So that's, and that's where you can get a lot of information. You can see all members of the staff as well, and you can connect directly with each one of them or, or in a general way, we can connect. 
ask questions. You know, we are open to try to answer everything. We already had some people just sending us an email saying like, well, I'd learn about this plant, but I don't know what it is. So what do I do with it? You know, and that doesn't mean we know, but we are happy to explore with you, try to figure it out what we can do with that plant and then share that information or stuff like that. So we're open to everything. Right. Yeah. Like I said, visit the website and you'll find everything there, including that donation link. Awesome. And uh, you guys also have a pretty active YouTube channel, which is pretty cool too. Yeah. And we are currently, we are, uh, our team is growing as well. So we are growing a little bit more our communications team. So we want to have a little stronger even presence in social media and all of that as well. So, and we are have plans to start developing more things for the different platforms that are out there. So yeah, keep following us. Awesome. Well, I appreciate this, Mandu. This was great. Well, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. I'm very happy to share anytime. So, and at some point you should come to Minneapolis, visit us at the food lab and you'll try to, you can learn some things and maybe eat some yummy food. Yeah, absolutely. Once, uh, if we ever live in a post-COVID era, I, I have a lot of trips to make to try some really good food. <laughs> so again, thank you so much, natifs, N-A-T-I-F-S.org to go check out what you guys have going on. Yeah. Thank you so much for the invitation.